Good morning, church. Should we get into God's word together? Just before I start, I'm going to pray in a second, so I'm going to need some, uh, some help up here, uh, help with the Holy Spirit. Do you want to grab your Bibles? If you've got it on your devices, then turn to Ephesians 4. Uh, if not the red Bibles, you can turn to page 1175, and we're going to uh, pick up the back end of Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, yeah, like, I need, to, need some help from the Holy Spirit right now, so join me in praying. Lord, I want to thank you that your word is alive. I want to thank you that you breathed it and it is profitable to our life, that you don't stay silent, but through the pages of Scripture, you breathe these instructions to us to help us to know what your will is, help us to know how good you are, help us to know that you are with us. And so we want to ask God, open our hearts now to receive what it is you've got to say through uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And all the people said... Amen. While you're turning to Ephesians 4 in your devi- on your devices or your, or your Bibles, I'm going to start with a little help, help of a little illustration just to set the tone now. I don't know how you're wired, but I'm the kind of guy who doesn't like to go to a manual. I'm not very good with instructions. So a few times this week I've been putting together some furniture. It doesn't matter whether it's furniture or installing an electrical device or maybe making a, a, a cooking a meal, looking at a recipe. I'm, I'm terrible at looking at what the, the manufacturer or what the instructions say. It's not my default. Now I know some of you are not like that. Some of you are far wiser than I am. But I'm just being real with you. that I, I always try and go and figure it out myself. I think I can get this sussed myself and then lo and behold, I also go scurrying back to the instruction book to see actually what the manufacturer was telling me in the first place. Now, if that's true for installing a microwave or building some flat pack piece of nonsense from Ikea, which I know we all love to do, how much more do you think it's needed in life? If stuff in life often feels a little bit out of control or like there's stuff that will happen throughout the course of the week that feels a little bit out of our reach... How much more do you think we need to go back to what the manufacturer says, probably even daily, I'd suggest, for the required direction? And that's why I think Ephesians 4, or Ephesians in general actually, is just gold dust. It's absolutely amazing because God, speaking through the Apostle Paul, is basically showing us what it means to live by the way of the manufacturer, his instructions, his guidelines. So Paul is writing to this Turkish church as we've been looking at over the last few weeks and we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. I've got it up on the screen in case we need it. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Everyone say hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. He's not pulling his punches here. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, okay, that's very important to remember, your former way of life, to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new, another very important thing to remember, in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, in case you're wondering, what God is saying to us here is remarkable. You could even go as far to say it's revolutionary kind of teaching. To follow Jesus sets us apart from the rest of the world. 
I'm going to ask a series of questions through this, this talk. The first one is, how has that been going for you this week? In the last seven days, have you been set apart from your surroundings, your world, the world around you? Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, in case it needs to be said, you're not better, you're not worse, but you are fundamentally different from the world around you. That's what this scripture basically says. The creator of the universe, if you're saved, you've given your life to Jesus, he's taken hold of your life, he's taken away your sins, he's put them upon his own shoulders, he's put this freedom upon you, no chains around your wrists any longer that that sin might have brought about. He's set your feet on a new summit, you're on this new platform in Christ. And so everything that you say, everything you think, everything that you do, everything, absolutely everything, should look different. Now, if that's not the case, it's probably because you've been trying to get life in the last seven days without looking at what the manufacturer has been telling you to look at. Been trying to get life without looking at his instructions. Now, let me scratch to the, beneath the surface a little bit more. I think by nature, we'll all think we know best. Oh, it's very quiet there. I live with a, a couple of people. One of them is age three and one of them is age six. They think they know best. I'm 34 years old. I often think I know best. And I'm willing to bank that if you've got a few decades behind you and you've maybe got a few grey hairs, there's times even then where you think you know best. So if that's true then and here and then, I think we can all acknowledge that it's something that we live by. We think, hey, I know what's best so often. And it's a foolish way of thinking. When left to our own devices, the way that we think we know best is to deviate towards the stuff that feels good, comfortable, easy, pleasing. That's the way we naturally go. Any amens out there? I could have sworn there were some believers in this room, but that's the way that we deviate towards. And here's my one and only point for today. Following Jesus should always present a new challenge to an old nature. Always. Always. Paul reminds us here that because of Jesus and by Jesus, we can know newness of life, wholeness of life. We can know life as instructed by God himself, like what Chris was sharing at the beginning of the service. Like he's, he's near. We can, we can listen to what he's got to say about stuff. And that means giving access to God to all of your life. The whole lot. Everything that you think, everything, every relationship, every bit of spending habit you might have, your thought life, your careers, your retirement, your emotions, the, all of it handed over to the Lord. Now let me just share a little bit of example, uh, an example for you visual learners. Now when, when my work laptop starts playing up a little bit, we've got this company out in Surrey somewhere and I need to call them up. And this dude named Guy gets on the end of the line and he sends through a link to my laptop and I have to click this little button that gives him access to my laptop. 
I don't know if any of you have done this before. It's quite fun. I go off and make a cup of tea, and then I sit there watching as Guy goes to work on my laptop in front of me. My screen goes all mad, and he's pulling up different programs, and he's accessing bits of the laptop that I didn't even know existed. I'm thinking, what in the world are you doing? There's this thing pops up, and I didn't even know that that thing existed, but Guy has to go to work on it so that he can start trying to solve the problem, and he starts pulling up these secondary issues that I didn't even know he was going to work on, and he starts doing that work, and I sit there because I've clicked the button giving him access. Now, if that's true of my laptop, how much more true do you think it is true of our lives? God abundantly knows that throughout our life, we're going to need this. So he sent his son, Jesus, to go to work on us. To go to work on our old selves, like it talks about in Ephesians 4. And we need to give him daily access to us. In the same way that I give Guy access to my laptop. Because he wants to bring about some brand spanking new functionality in our lives. It's not a seasonal thing. It's not something we do when it's convenient. It's not like some kind of spring clean that we might do once a year. No, he wants daily access to who we are. Because you can't run upgraded software on an old device. So I'm going to ask another question. What areas of your life, what your character or your conduct... Do you need to give access to God to today? Pin drop. What area of your life do you need to give access to God to today? Now, by the Holy Spirit having access to our lives, to our character, God says that we need to put off self. He talks about an old self that we actually need to take off. Now, that flies in the face of our culture because self is a big deal right now. I don't know if you've noticed in the media personalities and or um, persona and identity and egos, people taking selfies like they're, it's just an incredible phenomena. Our culture prizes self in a really big way. It's a big preoccupation. I was reading even recently about, um, what's her name, Kylie Jenner of the Kardashian clan. 21 years old, she's the youngest ever self-made billionaire. 21 years old. She's got this cosmetics line behind her. She's, she gets paid millions for her selfies. She's got um, 137 million followers on Instagram. And the media parades someone like her saying, she's self-made. And they promote someone like her to our young people saying, look, look at her, look at her, look at her. I think, really? She's airbrushed to within an inch of her life, enhanced and endorsed and she's not self-made at all. Self-made is a cultural concept. It's definitely not a biblical one. It's a cultural concept. It's not a biblical one. And the Bible uses the word futility to describe how the world looks at self. Futility. Futile, that's quite a harsh word to use. Basically saying it's pointless. It's useless. It even uses words like deceived and corrupted. So my next question, what lens are you viewing yourself through at the moment? What is your current position and how is it potentially deceived or corrupted by your surroundings? Because God, your Father, says, I have made you new and I will make you new. Do you want another example? So there's this amazing moment in history and we can read about it in John chapter 8. Now, at this point, Jesus has been doing some amazing stuff. 
some miraculous work and people are encountering the kingdom of God in a new way. And so they start flocking. This crowd start gathering around him because he's doing some amazing stuff. And through the crowd cuts this group of people and they're dragging this poor lady. Now she's been caught doing something quite foolish. She's been caught in the act of adultery. She's been having sex with a guy that's not her husband. And so this, this group wants to just vilify her and just kind of hang up her identity for the public to kind of just go to work on. And do you know what Jesus does? It's amazing. He, despite the commotion, he gets down. And in the dirt, he just starts drawing this line with his finger. I want you to picture this moment because it happened. And he stands up straight and everyone's looking at him because they're wondering, what on earth is he doing? This poor lady's identity is up for grabs. Her security is just being pulled apart. And he straightens up and he looks at them all and he says, okay, let you who is without sin, you who think you've got a good character, you cast the first stone against this poor lady. And do you know what they do? To a man, they just slink off. They move away because they've got nothing against her when he says that. And what's left? Jesus and the lady. Guys, I don't... We're talking about Jesus and the lady. Don't dial out if you're a man. This has every application for you as well. It's just the saviour and this broken lady. The one who can redeem her and the one who is desperately in need of being redeemed. It's this beautiful, stunning, stunning snapshot of the conversation that God desires to have with each and every one of us each and every day. I don't know if you've thought about that interaction before. If you've read John chapter 8, he wants to have that kind of conversation with you every day. Now, Jesus doesn't, um, doesn't brush away her sin. She's made some poor life choices. He doesn't look over it. Do you know what he says to her? I don't condemn you. Man, I bet she was glad to hear that. I don't condemn you, but you need to, you need to stop living like that. You've, you've made some, some poor life choices. You need to turn from that. I'm going to give you a new way of living. I'm going to give you a new chance of freedom, but you, need, you, you do need to stop doing that. I'm, I don't condemn you, but let's turn away from this together. He invites us every single day to turn away from the poor life choices and, and, and sin. He, he gives us the opportunity every single day. You need to look at me. You are a new man. You are a new woman because God says so every single day the manufacturer's settings say so that's why one reason why we celebrate baptism so much when I was preparing for this I just felt that urge to to talk about it again for a moment because it's such a beautiful moment we put the pool out here and we fill it with water and we celebrate as an old person I'm not talking about age old, but like as in an old self goes into the water and gets raised up as a new being. We celebrate and we rejoice in it because it's part of the process of the new life adventure that Jesus gives us. I want to say, if you've not been baptized, you need to get baptized. Acts chapter 2 verse 38, Peter says, you've got to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the Bible, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. It's part of that new life adventure. It's part of the process of finding new life that we would get baptized. It's in the Bible. I'd love to speak with you if you've not been baptized before. I want to find out what you're waiting for. God pursues you to bring change through love. 
Let me change the gear for a second. So think for a moment about what you might acquire. Maybe you've got, you get a new phone or perhaps, in fact, a new watch. Can I, can I borrow your watch, Ed? Get a new watch. It's there. It doesn't look like a new one. <laughs> Let's see if this fits. When you get something new, you treat it differently, don't you? You handle it slightly differently. You're not used to it, whether it fits or not. It feels a little bit clunky on your wrist. You, there's, a, there's a way in which you handle a new thing, like a, a gadget or a phone or a watch or something like that. There's a significance because it feels kind of fragile because you've just, you've just received it. You're not used to using it. But over time, you get a bit more familiar with it, don't you? You, it, you don't notice the fact that it's on your wrist any longer. We start to handle stuff with a little less caution and a little more confidence. Now, I believe that daily renewal in Jesus is a bit like that. Let me explain. I've walked with Jesus for some time now. I find, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that there's a robustness to my faith that I didn't used to have. I have more assurance in who I am in Jesus than I used to have when I first met him. It's not that I'm just familiar with it, but I am kind of familiar with it. I, I've, I've learned some lessons through some trials. I've seen him come through faithfully time and time again. And you start to be able to realize that you don't need to act with so much caution. You can have a bit more confidence in, who the, identity that, or in the identity that you've received through Jesus. So you're not walking on some kind of eggshells or on the edge of some kind of salvation cliff that you could fall off at any moment. No, the Holy Spirit has changed you. He's made you a new person, and you get a bit more confidence in that. That's what I'm finding as living with the power of the Holy Spirit at work in me. I'm more dependent on God than I've ever been. I believe that, but I'm actually more secure in who I am in him as well, which is a wonderful thing. And not because of intellect or skill. And you just need to spend two seconds in my company to know that's abundantly not true. But because the Holy Spirit is committed to teaching us that he wants to make us creator-made and not self-made. One mindset is freeing and uncomplicated. One mindset is, relies a lot on strenuous effort and also on what people say about us. We get propped up by the opinions of others. One mindset equips us to live as God calls us to live, as adopted and free and chosen and welcomed and all these amazing things that God speaks over us. And the other one is propped up so much by what the world around us says about us. One mindset is fruitful. One mindset is futile. If you've given your life to Jesus, your new heavenly identity needs to transform your earthly lifestyle. And some of that comes through now in the next bit of scripture that we're going to look at. It's perhaps time to revisit some of this discipleship stuff. Now, we've been speaking recently about being daily devoted to the Bible our own personal quiet times. We've been speaking recently about the needs to build into our routine, time where we're worshipping God for ourselves. Daily expectation of being filled with the Holy Spirit and a prayer life that actually sounds more like a conversation with our Father and not just like a wish list. That These four basic things that we talk about as pastors and we will talk about a lot because they're so, so important in growing in our faith. But Paul tees up some really helpful things now that I want us to be encouraged by. These next few verses reveal some really practical discipleship indicators. Anyone need an extra pointer? 
Brilliant. Half of you are going to really enjoy this now. So this is what it looks like. Whether we feel like it or not, we're influencing people around us. And there's some really helpful pointers from the Apostle Paul about how we can influence them more by living like the kingdom is with us, because it really is. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 to 32, if you're tracking with me, some really practical instructions. My belief is, we're going to go through these quite quickly, but my belief is that one of these is going to stick with you. And it's going to be the Holy Spirit that wants to speak to you, and he's going to go to work on you in this, char- in this area of your character. I'm going to leave it up here, but I'm going to dip in and out of it. So verse 25, you see here it says, Put off falsehood and speak truthfully. That's what a disciple of Jesus should be doing. Now, are there any lies that you have been telling in the last seven days? Or what falsehoods have you adopted recently? Perhaps you're prone to some stinking thinking, as I like to call it. Maybe you think, well, just just a bit of temptation here, that won't hurt me. That's a falsehood, that's not biblical. You don't got that from the Bible, you've got that from the world around you. Or maybe if as lo- my faith will last as long as this particular thing doesn't happen to me. That's not from God. Maybe if only I achieve this one particular goal, my life will feel fulfilled. You didn't get that from the Bible. That's a falsehood. that we. That these are the kind of things that we often think, and God says you've got to put them. That's not part of your new self. God says stop it. He doesn't, he doesn't suggest it. He says it. He commands it. Because a follower of Jesus doesn't misguide, doesn't misrepresent the truth. We don't speak white lies. We don't speak half-truths to the world around us. Don't allow nonsense into your heads, and certainly don't allow it out of your mouths. Verse 26. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. This is about to get real for some people. It does our souls damage, and it distorts the kingdom of God at work in our lives when we let anger linger. Some of us are going to have to repent of that before we leave this room. To be hot-headed is not cool. It's not how God intends for you to live as a disciple. It doesn't reflect the kingdom. You think, well, I have a short fuse. That's how God made me. Nope. Oh, I'm European. That's how God makes us. Nope. (laughs) It's not Christ-like. In fact, verse 31, if you look down at the bottom, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. He just blankets at the end there. Every form of malice. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm gonna, I'll share something. Just in case, I'll be real with you just in case you're not able to be real with yourself at the moment. Um, I can think some very disapproving thoughts. Very, very disapproving thoughts. I can be driving along in my car, worshipping God, singing my hallelujahs, speaking in tongues, having a wonderful time with the Lord. And if someone cuts in front of me, I'm about ready to karate chop that guy. I can go from this place of glory to this place where I, uh, I know I'm not alone in thinking this. I start imagining how the fight will go down. Has anyone else done that? You start drawing from scenes from the film that you watched the night before. Think, I could do that on that guy. I was, I was praising Jesus five seconds before and then I start imagining how I'm going to knock him out. Because he, it might be a cue, 
could be in the car, could be a sly look that a dude gives me when I'm walking along the road. And you start having these malicious thoughts. You think, where on earth did that come from? God says you need to stop living like that. It's not how Jesus intends the new self for you to live like. I think as I was studying this as well, that that word bitterness, that's a huge one. Who are you bitter towards? Who do you harbor bitterness towards at the moment in your heart? God says you need to stop it. You need to bring it to him so he can go to work on it. Let's keep going. Verse 28, still no longer. I'll be real again. So growing up, me and my mates used to steal a lot of stuff from the shops. We used to steal drinks and food, and we used to think nothing of it. And then when we started getting Saturday jobs, we used to steal clothes from the, from the clothes shops that we were working in and used to sell them at school and that kind of thing. And I thought I'd grown out of that when I got saved. And, um, and you know, this stuff rears its ugly head in different ways. I don't know if you, you'll spot this in your own life. A few months ago, two months ago, we started renting out our, our old flat. Got some tenants that are coming in, they're paying us rent. Just to be real with you, do you know what my first thought was? I don't need to declare that income. No one needs to know. No one needs to find out about that. Spirit of God's like, <coughs> okay. We have to guard ourselves against this stuff. That's why it's so important that these practical, clear instructions are written in the Bible. Or how about this? Every single week, we give you the opportunity to return to God something which belongs to him in the first place anyway. Your time, your treasures, your talents. I'd say if it belongs to him in the first place and you keep hold of it, that's a form of theft, is it not? I'll leave it with you there. Steal no longer, it says. Let's keep going. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. In fact, God goes on to say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, I was reading that because I wasn't quite sure what it meant initially. And I think because of the Greek word that's used uh, for the word grieve, and also the, the way that it finds itself in that, in that particular paragraph, the way it's written, my assumption is that it distresses the Spirit of God when we speak badly to each other and about each other. Now, that makes me think that the Spirit of God is not some distant deity but it's actually very near to me and very real and is inclined towards the things that I say. And when I speak badly about my people, or if I, if I have unwholesome talk coming out of my mouth, actually, he's close enough to be grieved by it. He doesn't like it when I live like that. What, what could unwholesome talk mean? Gossiping, swearing, innuendos, slating your mother-in-law, I know no one does that here. Toilet humor, making overcritical comments all the time about people, jokes at other people's expense. I'm, I'm really guilty of doing that. God says this morning through this command, there's a new you and he or she should not speak like that. And if you, my swearing is terrible. No one really hears it because it's beneath my breath. But I, I need to repent of my swearing. I don't know about you. Let's keep going. Verse 32, the last one. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Now, I, because this is here and it's in front of the screen and we've now read it, I guarantee you this week 
that there's going to be a scenario where you're going to be presented with the opportunity to be kind, compassionate, or forgiving towards someone. And in your old self, you're not going to feel like you want to do that. But in your new self, God's saying, be kind, be compassionate, and forgiving. We've now read this together. You've now heard it from the book of the Lord. Are you going to put it into practice when that situation comes up? Because I guarantee it happens this week. Church, you know, the the creator, he's in the business of making us clean. He's in the business of making us whole. He's in the business of making us new. And he's got a brand spanking new character that he wants to remind us about and introduce us to every single day. Not self-made, creator-made. So that the kingdom of God might shine through to a deceived and a corrupted world around us. I want to invite you. Can you stand for a moment, please? There's some pretty blatant, clear instructions from the Apostle Paul here. And it's a broad enough brushstroke to mean that that's going to hit home. For every, something's going to land on each and every single one of your hearts. I've been praying that it would happen in faith. I'm going to invite you, just to close your eyes for a moment. Now, I really believe that a personal daily revolution of our character leads to people around us being transformed and impacted with the kingdom of God. It's the reason that we're still breathing. The reason that we still have breath in our lungs is because God wants to shine through us and that we might impact the world around us. Now, he saved you so that you'd receive righteousness. He pursues you so that you'd become holier. He wants the way that you behave and speak and think and act to become ever increasingly more like Jesus. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit having access to who you are every single day. Church, don't let the devil trick you into thinking that foolish reactions or or sinful thinking patterns are okay. I mean, Proverbs 26 even talks about this this image of a dog going back to its vomit. When we live with a sinful pattern of thinking or sinful behavioral uh, traits, it's like we're going back to this, this thing of vomit and God says, no, I've got something new for you. By his grace, he can make us new every single day. Holy Spirit, I want to ask that through your word, you would help us to give you access to who we are. And if there's any of these behavioral traits that Paul has listed, I want to ask, Father, that you would help us to hand it over to you. I want to ask that you'd help us to be more new, more like Jesus, more like the Savior that we've given our lives to than we ever have been before. And Father, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice right now, Lord, that hasn't given their lives to you, who's living as though they're a self-made person, by the power of your word at work, please help them to see that it's futile, it's deceived. Are you more like Jesus than you were 12 months ago? Are you more like Jesus than you were six months ago? 
Are you more like him than you were six weeks ago? I want to ask you to hold out your hands if you're willing to. Either out loud or in your hearts to say, God, I give you access to this character that you've given me. Continue to do a work in me that I didn't know was possible, but that I so desperately need. As we take communion in a moment, you can pray this as well. God, God, help me to be reminded that I am new because Christ gave up his body and his blood for me. And when the Lord looks at me now, he just sees his son. The new me, not the old me. You know, the Lord sees you. He hears you. even though your eyes can't always see him, his are fixed on you. In the midst of that bustling crowd, it was just the saviour and the lady. And he welcomed her and said, no, you need to turn from that way of living. It wasn't doing you any good, but I don't condemn you. Come with me.